Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Alrighty, we are ready to get started here today. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn with Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside my co-founder, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing, man? I am doing great, Andrew. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. We hope everyone is having a great week, has had a great start to the new year. If you do want to get access to Jeff's weekly memo, that is mm-hmm. not going to go out on Wednesdays. And we're going yes. to talk a little bit more about that later on. Okay. But it's going to go out on Wednesday. And it also comes with something that we're actually going to talk about here today um, in the podcast, which is your research pipeline our research pipeline for, for the premium members for the premium members. Right. That's correct. If you do want to get access to that and you do want to sign up, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast. And that takes $10 off of the subscription price. And definitely as long as you do stay a member, right? So that makes you a premium member and then you'll get the watch list that we'll talk about. Yep. That's correct. Yeah. And if you do want to follow me on Twitter, mm-hmm. I tweet out a bunch of content and all stuff related to that. Feel free to follow me at, at focused compound. Mm-hmm. Jeff no longer is on Twitter. That's correct. That is correct. Okay, cool. So today, like I talked about, we're going to be going over our research pipeline, which is just something that you came up with for premium members. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people actually liked it a lot. So I thought cool. that was that was cool. I actually, I don't know, you, you're not on Twitter, so you probably didn't see. I tweeted okay. it out, but I, oh, I blocked out what it was, or okay. like all the tickers and everything. All right. So people were guessing. <laughs> with okay. People were like, I bet you I could guess. How, uh, oh, all right. Or someone said, don't you think people can guess the, t- the stocks because oh, okay. you tweeted out? And I said, I don't know. Try guessing. And they guessed a couple of them. I'm like, no, you're not even in the same ballpark. Oh, okay. So I thought that was kind of funny. But so we are going to be going over that. And I think it'll be good just so people could kind of understand um a, I mean, they're going to see what we're researching currently. Right. And then B, also, if they do become a premium member, which you get access to because people right. like it. So, right. so this is from last week. Yeah. And the idea here is that uh, this went out and um, premium members get access to a write-up that week. So each week I do a write-up. And this watch list gives them a preview of what might be coming up yep. in the weeks ahead. Might not, though. It will change because, as we'll see, this is a list um, – with quite a few names on it, and as prices change and things I do yeah. change around what's there, although the ones at the top are almost certain to be the next things I do write about. Yeah, it's almost like our batting order, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Exactly. Where, um, you know, as things get more interesting, they move up or down yep. in, um, you know, what we see research. So um, I think I'll just what I'll do is I'll just say the first stock, and then we could kind of talk about it. Uh, there's a couple stocks that we went over last time when we okay. did the Jeff initial interest post. Uh, when we okay. talked a little bit about that, but we could also just kind of just give the highlight of that and just reference the last podcast. Right, and we talked about what reports are on the website, and some of these might be ones that have to do with a report that I wrote in the past, things yeah. like that. So there might be some connection there. And it's interesting, too, because we actually haven't talked about this in a while, but right. a lot of these companies that we're researching now are businesses yeah. that we've researched in the past. Right. And uh, we always talk about how that's good to do, especially in investing, because mm-hmm. as you become familiar with the company and then maybe Mr. Market gives you an opportunity to buy it, now it's you know a lot more interesting. It could be more exactly. interesting today than when you looked at it some odd time right. ago. Yeah, and on the um, watch list, the uh, actual watch list has the um, date that I added and stuff like that yeah. on it and, and some information about the price today versus when I put it on the yeah. watch list. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. So I'm going to be going over the domestic watch list. This one, we have um, a bunch of domestic stocks, and then we also have a couple, or actually we have one on the foreign watch list, and then we have a revisit watch list. Yeah, so you should mention what that is. So that's because I do three different kinds of posts. Yeah. So an initial interest post, um, well, actually two different kinds of posts, an initial interest post and a revisit of an idea that I've already written about before. Um, and also the reason why there's a foreign list, which doesn't have much of anything on it as of last week, mm-hmm. is because I'm trying to... Um, as much as possible, get a good mix of foreign and domestic things. Yeah. I'm spending more time looking for foreign things. It's been harder for me to have as many good ideas yeah. from foreign things because I know um, U.S. microcaps is better. Mm-hmm. Cool. So the first company for the research order, which is now, which is the first sell, okay. was Greenbrick Partners. And okay. we talked about this last week. We got a little bit more in depth on it on mm-hmm. the last podcast. And we right. talked about, I guess, the history of the company. And it was a reverse yeah. merger. And they're a home builder here in yeah. Dallas, Atlanta, Colorado, and also Florida now. Yes, that's true. And um, we revisited. You wrote about it, or the the price when this came out was $8.06. Okay. You originally, it said the price added was $9.49, and then the date that we added it, which is when you originally wrote about it, correct? Okay. Uh, So, uh, no, I wrote about it last week as of the time that you're listening to this. Yeah. So, um, about a week and a half ago now. Uh, so the price will have been about the price that you see there. So what is it? Yeah. Eight dollars. Eight dollars. Yeah, that's, that's where yeah. I wrote about it. I added it to the watch list before then. I've been keeping the watch list for a little while before um, we went public with it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Anything to say on the company? No, not anything new. Except it should bring up here that um, most of these stocks. The reason why they're on the watch list is because we do the managed accounts. Yes. The managed accounts have specific things about overlooked stocks. So one of the questions that I ask when looking for something to write up is, is it overlooked and why? Mm-hmm. So Greenbrook is not a particularly big home builder, and it has the history with it being a reverse merger. Mm-hmm. So it maybe is more overlooked than some home builders. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the first home builder you think of. I, I would say that's probably true. Some value investors might know about it because of David Einhorn, but even then, I don't know. I mean, people see his portfolio, so they should know about it, but I don't hear it talked about as much as some of his other positions. So it's a smaller company. It well, is, although probably. he has a really big holding in it, so mm-hmm. it's not a small part of his uh, portfolio, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Next one that you had was BWX Technologies, which is right. a company we've talked about extensively yeah, we have. on this podcast because you, you wrote about it, and there's a report on the website about it, mm-hmm. and you've wrote, written a ton of write-ups about it. Ticker BWXT, uh, the price when we added this was $39.79. Mm-hmm. Um, it's close to that now. Yep. And well, when you originally added it back in, it looks like 11, 17, 2018, it was around okay. $44.85. Right. So it's a little mm. bit lower than that, which is why yeah. it's back on your, um, your, it's probably high up on your radar. Yeah. Yes. So it is high. Um, and that's because, uh, so for uh, people who may not know the history here, I, um, owned this stock, um, and wrote it up when I did Singular Diligence. That's why there's a whole report about it on the uh, website that if you're a premium member, you can read. And that's from several years ago when they did the spinoff, which broke it up into BW, uh, Babcock and Wilcox Enterprises, which is very uh, probably on the verge of bankruptcy, very close to that. Mm-hmm. It's like a penny stock now. And BWX Technologies. Um, BWX Technologies went on to be more valuable stock than um, when the two parts were together. So by splitting off the market-valued, um, part of the business a lot higher than it valued the two parts together. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably ran up to the 60s in terms of the stock price. Yeah. And then it came down to 40 or below um, on some issues like missile tube issues, which I think we got asked about in some Q&A recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. And obviously it's good because we always talk about the four things that we go over. Do I understand the business? Is it safe? Is it good? And is it cheap? Yes. And actually for this week, I'm adding uh, a fifth one to that. Oh yeah. What is that? So uh, is it overlooked? Okay. So I will actually be talking the memo that um, goes out today. Um, as today when you're listening to this, not today when we're recording (laughs) it, um, that, uh, um, I've been trying to score the watch list Mm -hmm. to get an idea of how to rank it more objectively. And it's those five things. And I, I've been assigning it a, um, minus one for the answer is no zero for maybe and plus one for yes. Mm -hmm. And then just adding them up. So the questions really, is it overlooked? Yeah. Right. Um, and what's defined overlooked the way we categorize overlooked right. in the managed accounts is spinoffs, um, illiquid stocks, micro caps, illiquid micro caps, stocks emerging from bankruptcy, net nets, stocks trading below net cash, mm-hmm. just a subset of stocks that again, it's, it's name tend to get overlooked for various reasons. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's so like Apple is not an overlooked stock we've talked about in the past and people have asked us before, um, back when Berkshire was trading, uh, I think it was trading close to book value, right? right. And it mm-hmm. could have been maybe, I don't remember what, I don't know what the stock's on since, but right. it probably was at the, um, could have been cheaper. And somebody asked us, well, would you ever consider buying Berkshire Hathaway? And we right. said, well, no, right. because it's not an overlooked stock. Yeah, we would not do it for the manager accounts. Yeah. I did own Berkshire Hathaway myself in very early 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a good example because the only time I've owned stocks that big and things like that are like a panic type situation, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Uh, so, so BDYX Technologies does meet that requirement because it was a spinoff or it's the remaining part of a spinoff. We, we count both parts as uh, potential. Like we talk about NACO sometimes and NACO is actually the remaining part. Mm-hmm. Hamilton Beach was the part that was spun off. But NACO is at least as, um, uh, people don't pay as much attention to it as Hamilton Beach. It's mm-hmm. at least as overlooked. Um, so BWX Technologies I would say does meet that because it was the remaining part of a spinoff, but I would grade it as being not overlooked because it's a several billion dollar sure. type company. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I'd say it's well known now. Uh, although I don't think it was well known really at the time of that spinoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you think that you are going to, so you can go over the other. Yeah. So how do I know it? Those sorts of ones. So what are the other, uh, the other four? What's that? The other four uh, questions yeah, that I look at. Do you understand it? Do I, yes. Which obviously do. Is it safe? Yes. Why do you say it's safe? And we and right. they're long-term contracts. We've talked about this pretty extensively. Yeah. So I'd say it's safe for a bunch of reasons. So uh, actually, I um, I believe that its bonds are not um, uh, rated investment grade because it has a lot of debt. Uh, I don't consider it dangerous, though. And it's the type of company you could probably lever up. Right. right? I, th- I think I'm right about that, that they're not actually uh, rated investment grade because they have a sort of standard way of doing that. I mean, they consider some other things, but the, just the level of leverage and, and the diversification is one of their tests, and obviously they're not a very diversified company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would consider it that way because it's the sole supplier for key um, uh, components for the uh, U.S. Navy for both submarines and aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. And the Navy has long-term planning. In real terms, it plans it. And um, it has no intention of um, not continuing those programs. Yeah. So I, th- I think it, in terms of visibility, it has the best visibility of any company I know of. Is it good? Yes. Which that we kind of just said It has that. incredibly high returns on capital. Um, although it has to... Uh, incremental returns on capital who knows you know because it has to buy other things or do something else because you know we know what the plan is for sure. the number of submarines and aircraft carriers yeah. and then is it cheap no but it's not too expensive anymore 
it's potential to think about it. Um, it's a stock that should probably trade at a premium to other stocks. Mm -hmm. And it's getting close to the point where, at least compared to other stocks today, it's not really especially expensive. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not priced above other blue chips and things like that. Sure. So and that's the reason why it appears on the list. Whereas for a couple of years, although I talked about the business here, I never talked about it as being a stock you'd want to buy mm -hmm. because it's 60 some dollars a share. I thought it was too expensive. Mm -hmm. And the fifth one, obviously, we talked about overlooked, which you said you don't think it's overlooked. Correct. I don't think it's overlooked. Not today. Yeah. And that's by my standards. I know that some people listening to this are like, I've never heard of the <laughs> yeah, technologies sure. or something, but yeah. I mean, compared to some of the things we'll be talking yeah. about, it's, I don't consider sure. it overlooked. No. And again, for the first four, for everybody listening, if you want to add this to your own sort of, I guess, filters, mm -hmm. the first one is, do you understand the business? Right. The second one is, is it safe? The third one is, is it a good company? Mm -hmm. The fourth one is, is it cheap? Obviously, right. do you understand the company? Do you understand the business? Right. If you don't understand it, probably, um, you know, that's not something that you want right. to. And, and again, though, but I think a lot of people think really hard into that, right? Do you understand how nuclear reactors and right. really, I guess like the chemistry it's, that goes into exactly. it? Exactly. It's I the mean, economics no, of it that yes, matters. Exactly. Yeah. So you understand the economics of it and, you know, how they produce cash flow, et cetera, right? right. Is it safe? Right, exactly. Is the company going to, you know, go out of business? And in this case, for example, they have long-term contracts. Yes. It's um, and other factors that make it more of a safe business. And there's no one else that produces the, the – I mean, for the – for the U.S. Navy, there's no one else that will produce the nuclear reactors. Yes. The other parts of their business, there are sometimes other people who will do it. Mm -hmm. But that's the one that the, – the, the truth is, like with the bonds or something, no matter what happens with this company, even if it was in a situation where the common stock is wiped out or the um, bondholders don't get paid off 100% or something, the U.S. government will not allow this company to be liquidated ever. Yeah. So some, this company will exist in some form um, – producing this for the Navy. Mm -hmm. So the only risks that they have um, are things that they could do something wrong that there are lawsuits because this involves nuclear. And um, obviously there's financial things. If they if they diversify, if they go into other stuff and use a lot of debt to do it, sure. obviously. Yeah. yeah. And then is it cheap? Which we also talk right. about. And I'd say it's not cheap. But, um, but what I mean by cheap is all, all of these I mean like um, on the surface because this is before you even look at it. This mm -hmm. is my checklist for before you look really. Yeah. And it's my checklist for talking about in my initial interest. Yeah. So when we talk about like do I understand it, it's do I understand the industry? Um, like of course I haven't read about this company in detail usually yet because it's my first time looking at it. Yeah. That's what the write-up's about. Mm -hmm. But do I understand the industry? Can I learn about it? Things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And so what are the first signs of that? Is it cheap? Usually means like on the surface, is it cheap? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so if it's at 15 times EBITDA, I don't know a lot for some company that might be cheap, Yeah. but I, I can't know that before doing a lot of research. Sure. And I actually, I skipped one. Is it good? Okay. And what we is define is does the company earn high returns on capital, right. et cetera. Yeah. Every single definition yeah. read of a good company. And, yeah, and oh, a good example of that, uh, another like, is it good is uh, there's a book. I forget what the old one was called, but the one that was like 100 to 1 in the stock market or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's a good book. And, and Babcock and Wilcox is in that. Uh -huh. So that's another test. So for people who like you can't find, sometimes you can't find um, data on, um, like for instance, Babcock had a spinoff from McDermott back in, I don't remember if it was 2010 or something like that, because um, McDermott did like a tax inversion thing, which, mm -hmm. which made it violate certain rules for the U.S. so that they couldn't be a like defense contractor the way that yeah. – that um, Babcock is and yet not be taxed in the U.S. Um, so because of that, they they spun off from that. So like it didn't have a long history that I could see of the exact company, but I could find things about the company in its form going back a long time. And uh, that's something you can do as a check always is get the longest term stock chart you can find, right? 
and see if over the last 30 years or something, this is a stock that's gone up 100 to 1. Yeah, sure. That's the same as it was, that's yeah. lower. And sometimes there's a good explanation that doesn't have to do with the business they're in now. But if it's been doing the same thing for 30 years yeah. and the stock's gone nowhere, yeah. then it's not a good business. And we've, we've ta- we, when we talk about does the stock work geometrically over time, right, that's exactly. kind of like a good way to do it. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm looking, I have it right back over there, 101 in the stock market. That's a good book. Yeah, so it does appear there. I think it appeared in the 70s. Yeah. I, I don't remember it, exactly. Yeah, so, so there's an old book and then, oh no, so that's, Hunter Baggers, I think, over there, oh, which so is a new, new one. one. Yeah. yeah, and then the old, which was written off the, of the old one. The guy was like inspired by yeah. it a long time ago. So yeah. both good books. Yeah, and I think I I uh, don't remember off the top of my head, but I think that by the seventies, Babcock was a hundred to one. Yeah, so you could have made a hundred times your money if you had, had held it through to the nineteen seventies. Crazy. And one last point I want to hit on this for people to add this to their filter. So, do you understand the business? Is it safe? Is it good? Is it cheap? If you don't understand the business, the last three, it. it makes no sense obviously to go right. that they're ranked in that order for a reason they're in that order if yeah. it's not safe for number two you probably don't even want to think is it good or is mm-hmm. it cheap and if it's not good then it's not cheap you're not going to buy it you know yeah and overlooked is a good one to do last um to consider sort of uh almost sometimes people talk about like what do i know that the market doesn't know or yeah. something like that um it is a good question to ask sort of you know whether you're looking at a cyclical company or something after you've answered those questions it is the last thing to ask of like well why um why is it priced this way or something? Yeah. I guess you could think about it. Yeah. Cool. Next one's front door ticker okay. FTDR. Today's price or when we put this out was $27 and 74 cents. And we started following it when it was around $23 and four cents. Yeah. And I should say that's when we started the watch list. So some of these companies obviously knew long before front door yeah. knew before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so front door's a spinoff with, uh, from service master. Yep. Service yeah. master, which is Terminix termites right um mm-hmm. everyone knows those green trucks yeah. <laughs> so uh, and front door is uh, a home warranty a home home repair um business and i did research on a company in the uk which has some similarities to it that's called home serve and um i researched that quite a bit it was one of the first single diligence reports i did so that's going back to 2013 or something and uh, that stock performed well after i wrote about it um and uh so i had some awareness of like the attractive aspects of the business and actually you did you look at front door at all yeah we talked we, about it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um so it's a, i like the business model a lot this is probably a leader in the air in the uh what it does and it could probably grow to be really big mm-hmm. um it has two parts of the business so one is um the uh that it, it has a, like a home warranty for so we're talking about like you know it covers something goes wrong with your water heater your or something appliances like that. yeah exactly yeah. and uh the business that isn't so great long term is uh when you sell your house and you buy a house um you get it as part of the deal with the realtor it's sold through the real estate agent um because people don't tend to renew that one but they're running ads and things to try to attract people directly to sign up mm-hmm. and those people renew at a nice high rate so it works more like an insurance company yeah yeah and which i mean renewal rates we've talked about before is a, a, if they have high renewal rates that's a good sign of a good business yeah yeah and then so is it safe i'd say yes but although again i don't remember on this one if it's uh if it's investment grade or not and then we talked about is it good yes and then is it cheap that's the question yeah I'm unclear if it's cheap or not right now. Mm-hmm. It actually dropped quite a bit after this spun off. So I believe where it spun off, I thought it was not cheap. But it's now at a price that's below where I expected it to spin off. So Interesting. 
Next one, KLX Energy Services, another stock we've talked about a lot. Ticker yep. KLXE. Um, it was uh, KLXE, KLX Energy Services used to be a part of, um, what was that company called? It was the aerospace company that got purchased by Boeing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> I can't remember. So, KLXI. So, KLXI. KLXI. Yeah, so KLX Inc., KLXI, yes. mm-hmm. uh, was the ticker, um, was a uh, company, and it was itself a spinoff. Yeah. Uh, previously so um uh so it was the and it was the second sort of career for um the ch- the ceo chairman i was gonna say who, those who's now gone with the spin those guys are money makers yeah i mean they've done they've had a couple of very yeah. successful transactions because yeah. that was a be aerospace was the first yeah. business that he did yeah. yeah and they got so um that company got purchased by boeing and contingent on that part. happening yeah. or not contingent on it happening but part of the deal was they had to spin off klx energy yep because they tried selling the business prior and nobody um made a purchase or an offer that they, that they, they liked yeah. yeah yeah you can look into the details of the merger a uh, background of the deal or whatever it's called a uh, background mm-hmm. of the merger um in uh, on the sec website for klxi we'll have it there yeah and that's i think we've mentioned that before but that's something i do that i've noticed a lot of people don't do Whenever there's a deal, a sale of a company or something, always go in there and read about it. It's great for learning about peers, things like that, who offered what. It'll say things like company A, company B. It yeah. often won't name the companies specifically, although it will name Boeing. But it'll say how much they offered, why they offered it, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting. And in, in that case, the companies, the big thing that you get from reading about that is, um, one, the companies that thought that oil would turn up and that there'd be a um and were willing to pay a higher price just didn't have access to capital mm-hmm. right they couldn't they didn't have uh they didn't have clean balance sheets and couldn't borrow a lot of money it sounds like energy companies to do the deal and um the other thing is that the companies that were energy companies didn't want to buy an aerospace company obviously and the aerospace companies didn't want to buy an energy company so boeing didn't want to so mm-hmm. yeah and this company is it safe I mean, it came out with no debt at the time. It, it came did, out and now no it's debt. loaded on debt. Yeah. So it's not safe now. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I mean, when it was originally spun off, though, it had no it debt. Looked, that was kind of yes. like the big... And $50 million of cash, yeah. and it wasn't going to pay taxes right away. It looked very safe. Came yeah. out with, like, what, four I times? I mean, for a cyclical yeah. energy service, oil-filled services, yeah. this is more natural gas uh, services. Um, came out, like, four times, EBITDA. Yeah, really low. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, They've announced since that they are going to lever up the company. They did, yeah. And the stock price was up like what twenty something percent. Yeah, on day. the earnings release, yeah, yeah, I think it rose twenty five percent. I think it went from about twenty dollars to twenty five dollars in one day. On like positive guidance. Yeah, they borrowed at a pretty high rate. I think they had bonds that would yield like eleven or twelve percent um, to do a deal, but it's a very good deal uh, in terms of how cheap the company is that they're getting. Uh, we're talking very low EV EBITDA, but it's now going to be levered up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, there's big upside in the company. It is cheap. You're going to ask that, and the answer is yes. Yeah. It is cheap. Is it good? Safe, no. Uh, good, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. So the reason for probably not is cyclical companies, companies that are as cyclical as that, have a very, very hard time over an entire cycle having good, like we've said, geometric returns. But which has also happened to the company in its history, mm-hmm. right? They purchased a bunch of assets yep. that were terrible, mm-hmm. or it, just, it wasn't successful for them. Yeah. So, um, so actually, you can look. Even some of the biggest oil field services companies, um, although they have high returns on equity during an oil boom, if you look back over 30 years or something, these generally are not stocks that perform really well because they have a few years where they actually lose money or generate almost no return. Yeah, so the story sounded a lot better probably. We liked it a lot more, obviously, when it had no debt and was trading a lot cheaper yeah i would say on terms of like an expected value i don't it might be better now than when we looked at it mm-hmm. but in terms of riskiness it's a lot riskier now yeah it's really if you 
if you think that um, uh, that kind of business that providing those services, we're talking well completions and all sorts of different things they do, but that's a big part of the business um, in uh, the U.S. in the parts where they are in, which they're pretty diversified. So uh, they're in a bunch of places that is sort of basically is tied to fracking activity in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think that's going to be really big for a while, then uh, you could have you know this could be a home run, sure, but it's risky now. Yes, uh, but the uh, the management, the very top management, decided to go over to this company uh, instead of retiring or something with with the sale of the old company, and uh, compensated in uh, a, a direct um, stock. Yeah, uh, yeah. It so sounds just like just equity grant from like you can be stock market genius. It sounds like it sounds stock exactly that like what Greenblatt Green would buy. Yeah, yeah that, what he yeah, would love. One hundred percent. So this is another stock that everyone's probably familiar with, Tandy Leather Factory. Yes, I think we've mentioned Tandy on the show. Yeah, a long time ago. Don't go listen to those old podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't do it. I can't do it. Okay, so the price added when we added it to the watch list was $6.70. And okay. today, or when this came out, was $5.76. All right. What do you like about Tandy? The chairman? <laughs> so the chair, yeah, the chair, dear chairman. The, the he chair, wrote the book, yes. dear chairman. He did write the cha- uh, the book, dear chairman. We're talking about uh, Jeff Graham. Jeff Graham, yeah. Um, so that he's the chairman. I think um, he posts a lot of pictures of food on Twitter. On Twitter, that's yeah. all I remember. Is Twitter, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Tandy is a company. I, I've been to Tandy stores before. Um, I've probably mentioned before that Tandy's history is it was tied up with Radio Shack. Basically, the Radio Shack idea came from Tandy. Uh, and um, T- Tandy is a leather crafting uh, uh, retail business, and it, they're laid out exactly like Radio Shack. Oh, that's why I keep mentioning Radio Shack because people will know Radio Shack and have no idea what Tandy is. Yeah. So Radio Shack was a um, radio uh, hobbyist for electronics because that was a hobby in the you know sixties or seventies. And um, leather crafting is the same way. So the same term in terms of very few employees in the store, small store. Uh, manager who's compensated with um, the store's performance and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, um, it's the dominant company in that industry, by far the biggest. It really created the industry. Um, it has replaced the CEO recently, and I read the first comments from the new CEO. What'd you think? Um, pretty generic. Uh, what the ideas would be? They did mention things like rebuilding brand equity, which is kind of an admission that. They haven't had success the way recently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because the company has not had any real value creation recently, but it is cheap. Um, it hasn't really paid out in terms of dividends or buybacks or something like that, and yet it also hasn't grown the value that's in the stock. So recently it hasn't really generated free cash flow that it could pay out to, to give you a good return. Um, and that's been a few years now after its growth period. So it had a long period where it had a lot of growth. Um, and then the last, I don't know, five years or something, it's had like no growth Mm -hmm. and certainly nothing it's done in like five years has created value for shareholders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you have, like we said, a, um, uh, investor, uh, he runs an investment fund, uh, who owns a very big part of the company Mm -hmm. and it would be the person who could make a lot of decisions there. And, uh, it's, you know, easily 10 times or more the size of any competitor. Um, so it has a strong competitive position I don't know about growth, things like that. Um, it's very cheap, though. It's getting to the point where you should look at what net uh, current assets are versus it because it's going to get to the point pretty soon where it'll be net-net. Uh, Got it. Next one, Service Master, which we kind of just hit on when we yeah, talked we about um, Front Door. Um, S-E-R-V, and the price added to the watch list was $42, and it's currently at $36.30. Yeah, by far the biggest business now for Service Master is Terminex. Yeah. 
Um, I did do some things where I read the annual reports of all the big uh, pest control companies. There's um, other one. The some of the big other ones are not well. They're in the U.S., but they're pu- not publicly traded in the U.S. They're not headquartered in the U.S. Um, and uh, so it's an interesting industry. It's mm-hmm. a it's a good industry. It's Terminax actually of all of them. What's uh, their What's their big competitor? Don't they have a huge competitor that's publicly traded? Is that them? Orkin? Rollins? Rollins. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's like Rollins. Huge, massive massive the Orkin brand. Yeah, yeah. massive mm-hmm. company, right? Yeah, yeah. And they also have uh, what's the other one called? I don't. Remember. It's a UK company that uh, uh, a huge part of its business yeah. is in the US. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, but the one that investors, I believe, would know best. US investors would know best is um, the company is called Rollins. But the brand you would know is Orkin. Yeah. That's the brand that they, they own. And they're the biggest, mm-hmm. um, whereas Terminex is smaller. However, Terminex is the biggest in termites, but much smaller in, uh, in pest control generally. Yeah. And termites, um, generally, that business has lower um, renewal rates. Yeah. So. so. Interesting. And do you think it's safe? Yes. Do you think it's good? Yes. Is it cheap? No. Probably not because it's lower on the list. <laughs> All right, next one. Garrett Motion, ticker right. GTX. Mm-hmm. Um, we added it at fourteen dollars and eighty-one cents, and it's currently trading at eleven dollars and seventy cents. This was the other spinoff from uh, Honeywell. So yes. I don't know if we talked too much about that. I probably just said it really in passing. But when Honeywell spun off Residia, they also spun off uh, another company. So it's interesting, unusual for a company to break up that. I mean, not break up the Honeywell that's left is still huge and much bigger than the two spinoffs yeah but it spun off two things at the same time basically or it announced that it would spin them both off at the same time and then went through with it um and so uh care motion we can talk about you can just go through the questions and you'll get a good idea why. <laughs> do, you, do you understand the business that's the problem no. <laughs> so a huge part of their business is turbochargers especially turbochargers for um diesel vehicles in europe uh-huh so a little we're not, you're not a car guy i'm not a car guy <laughs> um i don't drive um i d- i don't spend time in europe and that's diesel right. is not big in the u.s you hear that guys i pick him up he doesn't drive that's true <laughs> yeah um so no um uh i, d- I don't know it well no mm-hmm. and there are issues with that like there's issues about um you know, what's the future of those things, regulatory things and stuff. I and mean, I don't want to get into all the different things about diesel and, and they say there's other, that other kinds of cars will use turbochargers and why they would do that. And, um, so they have all sorts of things about how they're going to be in electric cars and they're, you know, but, but right now diesel is a really big part of the business and, um, it would be hard for me to know if the business in the future with changes in technology for that kind of stuff is uh, the same. And the, the thing with diesel, just for people to know, is uh, and there's a big divide between, has long been a big divide between North America and Europe on this. Uh, for uh, carbon emissions, having diesel would be better. The, um, so if you want to meet certain requirements in your country, uh, your company, whatever about carbon, um, then, uh, so CO2 emissions, then you would, um, want diesel. Mm-hmm. But the reason why it's not big in North America, because all oh, the laws in North America that had to do with that stuff was about, uh, clean air in a community, not about global warming. That was the original concern about these things. And, uh, diesel does not give you clean air. Mm-hmm. Uh, your city is going to be, um, not as nice to breathe in yeah. if you use a lot of diesel. Um, and, you know, if you read about it and stuff, these companies will explain all sorts of reasons why the next generation of these things won't be like that and all those things. But that's what they would say, you know. And so 
it's a sort of thing where you don't know if that technology will be as big in places if there's reasons why it's the way it is now. And you could have a lot of electric cars and things like that. I don't know if, um, you know, if, and these are really big, the customers are really big manufacturers that have a fair amount of bargaining power and stuff. So, uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that's hard to research. Mm -hmm. It's pretty far up the chain of production in terms of like, um, what we're talking about, we're talking about something that goes into a car that then is, you know, sold to to people. It's it's about as far from like consumer goods and things like that that are simple to research. So why is that number five on the list? Um, it's has a good competitive position. Mm-hmm. It's not expensive, and it is um, quantitatively it looks good, and it also checks a lot of the boxes of sort of. Overlook stock, yeah. spin off, the thing people really aren't paying enough attention to. And to be honest, not a lot of people are excited either about Garrett or Residio. A lot of people were paying more attention to Honeywell after that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why it's on the list. All right. Another next stock, Hamilton Beach Brands, a company yeah. that we've spoken about a lot also on the website, and there's been a bunch of reports on that. Um, ticker HBB, we added it at $23.28, and it's currently trading at $24.67. Mm-hmm. And this was the part that was also, that was spun off from NACO Industries. Correct, yeah. So this is much simpler. Kitchen to, research. Yeah, go look in your go look in your kitchen. I'm sure you got. <laughs> you probably uh, do have something from Hamilton Beach or one of the brands that they have. I bought a blender a couple weeks ago. Yeah, at a Hamilton Beach Hamilton brand. Beach. and it's not so, that good. It's not that good. It's not as good as the Ninja <laughs> that oh, my okay. dad has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're trying to get into some higher end things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So go to Walmart uh, or Amazon or something, and this will be one of the top options one of the two or three top options in just about every kind of small appliance mm-hmm. you know things that are priced fifty dollars and under often um your microwaves your coffee makers your toasters your everything basically um and so it's easy enough to research easy to understand yeah it's all made out in um east asia uh, and then um earns pretty good returns on capital it's a scale business um so i like their position and it It has not grown much in real terms and i i mean we talked about this in the podcast about it and i know we two of us talked about it but um a big concern is that i'm pretty certain in the u.s at least um that over the last couple decades the real price of these things has gone down Mm -hmm. these things are actually cheaper um they're pretty flat pricing like if you remember what you paid for your toaster 20 years ago it's probably not that different than what you could buy for toaster for today but you're probably earning more money Mm -hmm. sure so it's not keeping up with the overall economy that way yeah and you know that's a concern compared to some of the other stocks we talk about you Mm -hmm. know bwx technologies will keep growing along with um government spending you know so cars.com this was a spinoff from tegna man we talked about this like two and a half three years ago in person Right. As mm-hmm. uh, uh, ticker CARS, we added it at $21 to the watchers at $21.89. It's currently trading at $22.33. Yeah, so that's another spinoff followed by a spinoff. Yes. Like the, the the Babcock one that I talked about where it was McDermott, then Babcock, then BWX. Here we have, it was, um, uh, what's the name that I'm looking for? Uh, Tegna, <laughs> right? Tegna is, Tec- is the fake Tecno, name for Tecno. No, I don't, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Okay. The the TV. Anyway, um, newspapers and television. Um, And then it spun off uh, into Tegna and then from uh, Gannett. There is Gannett. Yes, yes. So Gannett wanted to break up its different properties uh, and it had properties that were 
So Gannett owns newspapers. This is going way back what Gannett had. But it, Gannett for a long time was a company that owned media properties, including local newspapers and uh, TV. The market was valuing those things differently, putting a much higher value on local TV than it was on newspapers. And then also it had this um, business that was more of an online type business, cars.com. And so the market would obviously put a much higher valuation on that than it would on a print newspaper. Yes. So you want to break those up, and they broke it up over a series of transactions where you split off the TV from the newspapers and then you split off cars.com. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting business. Actually, it reminds me a little bit of a stock I was looking at recently, National Cinemedia, which does um, uh, it's jointly owned by uh, Regal AMC, which is mm-hmm. and Cinemark, um, and it does the pre-show. If you go to a movie, oh really? And you see the the pre-show where they sure. advertise stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it has the rights to sell that adverse that ad space. Yeah. So Cars.com reminds me of that because the way it was created originally is that it's, um, in a sense, its customers were newspapers who in each of its areas it ran the classified type things online for them so its original uh, papers were major papers in these markets and so it was basically a classified um car business online you know Mm -hmm. and then it redid these deals with them which is what made it interesting as we were when we're looking at saying oh well over time now that they're independent of these companies they'll be able to negotiate better deals. Yeah, and I remember when we when we looked at it a couple of years ago or when the spinoff was happening, mm-hmm. um, Cars.com is a, it's a low capital expenditure, high free cash flow right. business, and we couldn't understand why their competitors were spending way more in CapEx than Cars.com was, yeah. if I remember correctly. And that gets us to the question, the issue for me with this company, Yeah, which is, um, so Cars.com has several publicly traded competitors, uh, one in the Overseas, UK, but yeah. yeah, but they also have them in the US. And we're talking everything, uh, you know, you know what these companies are, uh, you know, Car Guru and yes. uh, uh, Auto Trader, yep. and um, th- I'm, there's a bunch of them that I'm not thinking of right now. Yeah. But you've seen a lot of ads for them. There's one that it, went public too. I remember what yeah. we were. I mean, if you've it. watched cable TV in the middle yeah. of the day or Always whatever, this is yeah. just, you're seeing it all the time. And, um, so that's my concern. Those companies are usually valued higher by the market than cars.com. They're growing faster than cars.com, but they're also um, earning much lower uh, EBITDA. They're spending a lot more marketing. Some mm-hmm. of these companies are spending almost all their that's sales on marketing. That's what I meant, yeah. marketing, not CapEx. Yeah, yeah, yeah marketing. Yeah. So, uh, But they don't make more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's only one other company, and it's not in the U.S., that has similar economics to cars.com. So all these others are trying to aggressively grow scale. You know, They're mm-hmm. acting like a dot-com type business, which yeah. they are. And uh, so that's the concern there. Uh, but, you know, the business, uh, attractive economically, right? Good what, was the, the big, what was the big fund? That, was it Star, Starboard? They owned a, oh, yeah. took a position in the right. company as well. About that, yeah. uh, and it ran to like $28. Yeah. So you had an activist there um, talking to people. I guess the, the feeling that we got is that they're um, the least growth-oriented yes. management and culture in general there compared to any of the others. Um, my concern there is just, you know, intense, almost irrational competition possibly as everyone tries to grow to be the biggest and, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, so who knows? But, you know, if uh, if the stock market doesn't do that well, if um, uh, 
you know, uh, venture capital and stuff isn't interested in funding these sorts of things, then you won't be able to spend incredible amounts of marketing and everything. Those sorts of things are all based on the idea of growing your sales really fast, getting an IPO, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason there's so much competition is because recently there's been high valuations on websites, you know, in terms of price to sales. Um, So that was another thing, and that's continued for the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, there's just so much marketing spending by others. They're not the biggest spender on marketing. Mm Mm-hmm. So Which there are other companies did. that spend more than them, even though they're quite Which a bit smaller. Which is what worried us when yeah, we originally that looked is at what worries it. Me. Yeah. Next one, Seritage Growth Properties. So, yeah. Um, Mr. Warren B. owns this and his... He owns part of it, yep. Yep, that's correct. Um, personally, per- I should say personally. His personal Berkshire's lend Berkshire's uh, has loaned money to them. Yes, recently, right? In the last year, yeah. yeah uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, SRG is the ticker. Uh, we added at $33.66 and it's trading at $34.17. Yeah, and it's probably pretty close to, I don't remember Warren's cost basis in exactly, but I think it might have been around there. And Seritage was a spinoff. Yes. A controversial spinoff because it's a spinoff from a now bankrupt company, yeah. Sears. Yes. Yeah. So Seritage was a spinoff of some good real estate that Sears had, mm-hmm. and Sears continued to be a tenant for them. When it was spun off, Sears was their only tenant, really, and um, then over time, they would take back, or Sears would would surrender to them, um, certain of the, the the real estate where they would you know vacate at Sears, and uh, they would put in a new tenant. Sometimes they'd have to spend a lot to redevelop it or whatever, but the rents that they're getting from other people are all, in the beginning at least, and we'll see if this continues. You know, four times or something the price per square foot they were getting from Sears. So uh, the interesting part about it always was: um, is a Sears bankruptcy good or bad for them? And the answer is always in the short term, it's very bad for them. But in the long term, it's good for them. They want eventually to get rid of Sears. Uh, so so, um, so for the stock we're talking about here is basically, you know, with Sears, you're talking about mall uh, space, yes. space in malls. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a freestanding store um, and sometimes it's attached to the mall, but it's basically in a mall location no matter what with these Sears ones that they have. Um, so you can just think of it as mall real estate that they own. They're a landlord at malls. Um, and it's Sears, so a lot of the real estate had not been invested in for a long time, you know, well enough. Uh, and then they generally convert into other stuff. Uh, the ones that I know personally that I've seen that were Seritage ones were converted into like Dave & Buster's or a movie theater or... Um, restaurant or something like that usually um but a lot of them are just converted into other kinds of retail things that are bigger now Mm -hmm. so uh yeah owned so you understand by warren buffett do you think it's safe i do not think i understand it well enough i I don't i think because you don't understand the history i mean the what it's going to look like in five or ten years you think or what no if they have enough capital i think i know what it looked like in five or ten years Mm -hmm. but i think uh i don't know enough about mall uh real estate Mm -hmm. yeah so um, obviously that's why it's a lot lower. But do you yeah, think it's safe? Fine. No, that goes to probably same thing. <laughs> no, they need a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. So the issue is how quickly this is happening with Sears now, and they need a lot of capital. Now this has always been the question that I've had with people, because when I talk with people in the past, and this is going back a year or two or more, we're talking about Seritage, they would say, "Well, they're going to be insolvent." You know, it, Sears will go bankrupt. And some people thought Sears would go bankrupt faster than they did, and, and some people thought about when they did. Uh, they'll be insolvent. They won't be able to um, uh, just just pay for this redevelopment. Sure. All the redevelopment they're planning, it's just going to be where there's negative cash flow at some point. Um, my point with that is, well, at some price it doesn't matter because someone with a lot of capital, 
people who own malls and things like that would just you know buy the whole company or would lend them a lot of money or let, or buy preferred shares or do something to recapitalize them for the properties, right? You know, I mean, if the properties like this is not what the properties are worth, but say the properties were worth ten times what the company's market cap was. Okay. Well, then some mall operators sure. is going to buy them, or Berkshire Hathaway or someone is going to yeah. inject capital into them. Mm-hmm. So you have to try to do the math to figure out what the situation is. But you know how malls are changing now, and, mm-hmm. and what the situations are. I'm not a real estate investor generally. Yeah. So you know, those are the reasons why um, it's an asset play. Uh, but it is similar to what other REITs and things Buffett has bought. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at all of Buffett's past real estate investments, they do follow the same pattern, and he's even talked about them a little bit, of buying something that has like below market rents that's going to raise those. So you know in five or ten years you're going to be generating a lot more um, income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were going to buy into a real estate type situation, that seems the best to me. It seems like things that are always producing a lot of income right now are very highly valued by the market, but things that you're buying for their income in five years aren't so highly valued. Tend to get overlooked, sure. Yeah, and here you know that Buffett um, bought the stock personally, and you also know that Berkshire Hathaway loaned the money. Um, so that's interesting, too. Is that a conflict of interest? People have that question. If it's yeah. A conflict of interest. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when they did that, people on Twitter were kind of going crazy. It's funny. So there's a Sears right down the road here. Yeah. In Plano. And they have like a sign mm-hmm. on it that says like, yes, we're open. <laughs> oh, yeah? Do yeah. that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so so with Seridage, um, I would say uh, it's interesting. People should look at it. But uh, yeah, it's really far down my list. I have looked at it quite a bit. In the past, I've looked at it a lot. Yeah. Um, and you can look up where they're their um, sites are and what their redevelopment plans are and things like that. Some of the sites are good, um, but there's a lot of redevelopment plan. It's similar in that way to, or, but a more extreme case, but similar to, we talked about Maui lane and pineapple where like what they wanted, if they want to redevelop it themselves over the long term, they would have to put in as much money or more, a lot more to redevelop than their market cap. Yeah. Yeah. And same sort of thing with Seritage. United Technologies, the ninth one down the list. Tech. Yeah, not much about this. It's just that it's planning to uh, break up. Spinoff, right? Yeah, so spinoffs. And uh, some... Pershing's in it, um, Third Point's in it, Dan Loeb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know a couple of the businesses. Mm-hmm. So a couple of the businesses are in good industries and probably good companies. Mm-hmm. So they own a couple of really old industrial businesses that are in some really um, interesting businesses. And mm-hmm. so I'd be interested... In those they were an elevator ones. business? Yeah. yeah. I'd be very interested in an elevator business. Yeah. You've talked about elevators to me. I don't know if we talked about on the podcast <laughs> yeah. in the past, but how they're like yeah. incredible businesses. I like the elevator industry, especially U.S. elevator industry. Um, so, yeah, I like elevators a lot. Um, <laughs> Do you want to say why? Why? Yeah. Oh, so uh, elevators are, in, in the U.S. at least, this mm-hmm. is how it's done. Uh, when a company um, installs an elevator for you, they make basically nothing like we're talking gross margins of 10 percent or something yeah. then you have the operating margins the company made nothing on the it's deal kind of basically like razor blade reminds yes. me of um um helicopter hoist company breeze Eastern. yes exactly yeah. like mm-hmm. breeze Eastern. but the issue is once they make that sale it's very very rare in the u.s for someone to use another um elevator company to service that elevator and that's true generally around the world i think uh, that that people stick with the one who installed in the first place, and that companies generally want the after uh, market business. But my feeling in among the U.S. companies, and this might you know, among I should say among companies competing in the U.S. They're not all U.S. companies. Is um, that this is an actual 
they won't admit this, okay? But I think this is what they're doing. I think this is an actual competitive strategy, a known thing in the industry, that they do not aggressively try to um, take other people's business who've um, put the elevator in. They all want to retain the customers they already have. Because if you look in some other countries, that's not true, and there's some companies that are pretty aggressive at going after um, other people's elevators that they've installed, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it's a good business. And I live in a building where the elevators are constantly going down. And people <laughs> <laughs> Lots of maintenance. Lots of maintenance. Sure. Um, yeah. But so, so yeah, that's a business. Good. There's other businesses uh, too. There's one or two other ones that are interesting. Yeah. There. But I know yeah. we'd be interested in, yeah. in re learning a little bit more. The about reason that, that one's so far down the list. So that's planned. The spinoffs. The reason that's so far down the list though, is that everyone will be looking at it and those will all be big companies when they spin off. Sure. Yeah. Um, last one, Madison's last one domestically, Madison yeah. square garden, uh, ticker MSG. Uh, we put it on the list at, $266.32, and it's trading a little bit above at $268.48. Yeah. They spun off Madison Square Garden or MSGN. We yeah, so it already split. A while ago. That was like a couple years ago. A couple ago. years ago. Yeah. It already split. Um, isn't this interesting how so many companies like split once and yeah. then split again? Yeah. yeah, so it already split up into um, Madison Square Garden, uh, the um, sports teams, and the, or the arena, the site. Yes. Uh, and that business is separate from Madison Square Garden Network, the um, TV network. And right. I should say that I grew up and lived in the area where I've been to Madison Square Garden, watched Madison Square Garden Network, and uh, know the sports teams that they own, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, and um, so you understand the, the family, business. which we'll get into. You, you, want, you know the family? <laughs> I don't know them personally, but they oh, ran yeah. cable vision. Yeah. yeah, so you understand the business. Is it safe? Uh, yeah, it's definitely safe. Is it good? no but people are willing to pay for it anyway yeah so <laughs> no i don't think it's it, sports teams are good enough they own real estate sure. in new york it, it, you know whatever yeah it's okay mm -hmm. it's not bad is it cheap uh, compared to what i think a buyer would pay if you auctioned off the parts separately yes okay is it cheap compared to like what it, it's EV to EBITDA would be or something like that. No, it won't be, mm -hmm. but people will pay an absurd price for a sports franchise. Now, what do you think about the owners, the family? Uh, hmm. Come on. The family's okay. Just give it to them. <laughs> give it okay. to them. Uh, <laughs> the family, you know, they're slowly trying to realize value here. Yes. Here's the thing about the family. The family it, controlling family controlled cable vision controls um uh, uh now the different msg parts so the msg network that we mentioned before and and now this which we're hoping will spin off into it's planned will spin off into two parts which will separate the uh, madison square garden which is in, in the heart of new york city um from uh, which is a venue um from the uh sports teams which are like the knicks and the rangers basically um so a, a major basketball team and uh <laughs> Maybe the most valuable basketball team. It's mm -hmm. got to be close. And uh, the hockey team, too. Um, the, the thing with their control owners, so the thing with them is uh, they're not, you know, now they're unlocking value, but they're never in a hurry to, you know, report good earnings or to realize value now when you own a stock like that. Mm -hmm. They can always exit at a different point. Like I was looking at a stock recently, Arc Restaurants, which we've talked about before. That's always the issue there because if the owner of that business, uh, not the owner, but the a major shareholder, founder, CEO, 
wants to sell the company, he can always sell it at the going rate for restaurant EBITDA. Sure. So if the company's trading at five times EBITDA, but people will actually pay 10 times EBITDA for restaurants, whatever the market cap says, he can always sell it in its entirety or sure. when he wants to lose control of it, you know, and the same thing here. So uh, the stocks controlled by a family like this might do nothing for a really long time and they sell the entire franchise or something, you know. Got it. So that's so. the last one for domestic. And that's definitely the last on the list because um, it relies a lot on the value of professional sports teams. Yes. And I feel like it's the opposite of overlooked. Yeah. I feel like people have interest yeah, in this who don't even in interest in business things. I feel like everyone's yeah. done a presentation or whatever. Because it's relatable that. to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's on like every single message board there yeah. is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the next one. So this is a company I'm actually not familiar with. Okay. Um, and this is on our foreign watch list. Okay. Uh, Vertu Motors. Yes. And their ticker is VTU. They're, uh, they are out of London. Yes. We added it at $36.85. Uh, and pence. Pence, excuse me. You're yeah. right. And it's at thirty six fifty today. And you've, I haven't done any work on this company, so help it, me understand In it. theory. I might be writing out for the website this week. Oh, in theory. So when you hear this, premium members might have already read this or have this, not already read this, but it will be coming out the day you hear this podcast probably. Sure. Uh, but... Um, so what yeah. do they do? So it was written up one time, not exactly this company, but the industry as a whole was written up on an idea exchange. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 2017, I'm going to say. So on the website, there's an idea exchange where if you're a member mm-hmm. and you want to write up your ideas and kind of correspond back and forth with other members, right. you can write up an idea. It's like a message board. It's like, yeah. a, like a forum for ideas. So um, about a particular stock. And so someone wrote up the idea of this company specifically, uh, and the ticker is VTU in London. Um, and I mentioned they trade in pence. So in the UK, um, so UK, the currency is uh, British pounds, but they uh, they have a history of their stocks trading below a pound. So they tend to price theirs in pence. So even if a stock is a thousand pence or something, mm-hmm. uh, it'll tend to be listed that way. Unlike the US where stocks, like penny stocks are kind of frowned on, right? So companies split and reverse split and stuff to try to get them up in dollars. UK yeah. companies get them down to pence. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it's a car dealership, a bunch of car dealerships. Okay. 100, at this point, I think 103 car dealerships. They own about like half the locations. Yeah. We've talked about them, not on the podcast, but you do like, car, do dealerships like car dealerships as a business. As a business. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and Buffett bought what Van Tol or yes, yeah. a massive one. Yeah, in the U.S. Uh, and the write-up, which is a very good write-up that we have on the website, was mentioning um, that the U.K. recently, at least the last ten years or so, has had economics of the car dealerships that are very similar to the publicly traded car dealers in the U.S. But they always trade at a discount in terms of price to book and stuff. So in the U.S., when you see people talk in the industry, when you look at sort of trade magazine stuff and and reports about it, they talk about uh, these dealers bought this and whatever, you know, and they value it. What they do is they talk about the um, tangible assets, which is mostly land um, and the building and uh, the cars. That's basically what makes up all that, with a lot of it being the locations, the original cost of, of building them out. Um, and then the premium over that. And so when they talk about like what, you know, how in, um, real estate or something, they talk about like cap rates and things. Sure. It, what you'll see with car dealerships all the time is what's the premium over the, um, the tangible. tangible. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting in the UK is there's several of these that trade below tangible, which is not common in the U S and this is one company that trades below it. 
Is that why is that? Because it's less followed, overlooked. We don't know. Got is it. the answer. I don't know why they trade at a different price in, in the UK than they do in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not supported by the uh, economics of it. If you look at what the returns on equity are, what the growth in the stocks have been and stuff for the last 10 years or so, um, their economics are very similar to similarly sized businesses in the US, similarly sized car dealers. Car dealers make more money the bigger they are. They have pretty big increase in economies of scale. This particular company was created 12 years ago with the idea of consolidating the industry. Some things changed in the UK, which allow um, consolidation. And the biggest companies in terms of market cap have, I don't know, three, two, and maybe 1% of the market. That in the UK, and that's also true in the US. So there's a lot of room to buy up different um, dealerships, and that's what they've been doing. And that's what they do with most of the money they make, is mm-hmm. buy more dealerships. Uh, so, so you think it's safe, and obviously you think it's a great business. I think it's a good business. Mm-hmm. They don't use um, leverage, this particular company. They haven't really used leverage at all. And uh, if you look at their increase in their net tangible asset value, how fast that's compounded, that's compounded at maybe 12 or 13% a year over the last five years. And um, then they've paid a dividend that's probably another 2% or so of net tangible asset value each year. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about about a 15% return. Now, it's not quite reported earnings, but it's the actual amount that their book value is increasing plus the dividend. So it's very similar to like how Berkshire talks about their change in book value. That's how I'd look at it, right? Because if you can eventually sell these dealerships for some premium or discount to net tangible assets, then how fast net tangible assets are compounding is a good way of looking at it. In the early days, they didn't really grow that much, but now they have. Because they reached that scale point or what? Yeah, exactly. So um, I would say if they can grow 10 or 15% in terms of net tangible asset value, and recently they can do that just by buying back the stock. And they bought back 5% or so of the company last year, and they might buy as much as 10%. This year they have permission to do so. Um, if you do that, then obviously you grow net tangible asset value because you pay the market price for your stock, which is less than your tangible assets. So you grow it just by buying back stock when your stock trades below book value. Mm-hmm. So I'm very convinced they can grow net tangible assets. Um, so let's say you get a 10% return on your net tangible assets. Sure. And since they were uh, last 10 years or so, that's what they've gotten. Okay. And then, like I said, last five years or so, they've gotten even higher. And that might be because they have better scale or it could be cyclical. So um, you would think if you buy at one time net tangible assets and they get a 10% return on net tangible assets, you're going to get 10% return in the stock if you own it yeah. for a long term. So here, if you're buying at less than net tangible assets and they're getting a 10% or higher return, you should get a 10% or higher return in the stock. Uh, EV to EBITDA is low uh, single digits. We're talking... You know, these stocks at times have traded as low as three to five times EBITDA. Um, EBITDA sales is low, and price to book is really low. So that was a good pitch. Yeah. There you go, real action. So, and and I'm, I like their capital allocation stuff with this company right now. And they own half of the sites. So they have a, which in general are probably worth a little bit more mm-hmm. than they carry them on the books for. So, and if they can buy back stock. The big thing is, will they really buy back stock with this? You know, will they really do a good job of, allocating capital that way where they only do acquisitions that make sense and then when they don't have an acquisition that makes sense they can buy back stock there's also one other thing that's do they have a history of doing that yeah well only recently they bought back stock early on they did exactly the opposite they which makes sense if they were trying to consolidate yeah. the industry in the first few years of being a public company yeah. um they did a ton of acquisitions their uh, number of shares outstanding went up a lot and stuff but it hasn't at all in like the last five years um, and I think it'll go down. And that's what really interests me about it is the price is low and everything. 
here is a time when they might start buying back a lot of stock. There's sure. they did last year. I feel like they will this year. And they've been saying for a while that they and a lot of competitors have been investing a lot in um, in modernizing their dealerships and stuff. And that this has been eating up free cash flow. And that next quarter, um, so they said at the end of March of this year, they'll reach a turning point where they won't be making that investment. Sure. So the most logical place for that is to go into buying buy back, back stock. stock. Yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So interesting. That's the yeah. So I just it seems like a company that's trading below book value. An industry where all the dealerships should go for book value mm-hmm. or higher, so you have a discount to what I think a private owner would pay for it. And then, what if they buy back more for you? They're sort of doubling down for you. Sure, you're getting you know more of a return just that way. Interesting. All right, next part of the watch list is the okay. revisit watch list. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to explain what this part is? Yeah. So, this is stocks that I wrote about before, talked about before. And then we just look at it again. That's the idea. Is there a reason why they're not on the domestic watch list? Yes. In some way, I felt that I wrote about them before. Okay. So it's just. So that's a. I don't count the reports that I did, which predate our website, and some of them are as old as, Got what, it. five or six years old sure. now. Yeah. It's a judgment call. Some of these stocks have been written out by other people, and yet I still consider them to be an initial write up by me. But for these that we're going to talk about, for whatever reason, I consider it that. I've talked about them before. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So residual technologies. So tick, that, yeah. So that one. R-E-Z-I. Yeah. Uh, you added it at $21 and it's currently at $20. Yeah. So that I wrote up uh, on the website. Yes. Yeah. And in pretty big detail. So that one's definitely a revisit. Uh, yeah. So that right now that's the top of the list of stocks I would revisit. The mm-hmm. Stocks I've written up before that I would write up again. Uh, the biggest reason for writing up again is just the stock price declined a lot. So I wrote it up before the spinoff. Yes. And I had in mind a price that I thought it might spin off at or so. And it's probably at two-thirds of that now. So it got a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it a safe business? Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about residual before, I guess. Um, On the initial interest post. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, it's a spinoff from Honeywell. Uh, you know, I mentioned, I think I talked a lot about like thermostats and businesses like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah i think it's safe uh it has those environmental obligations yes so that's the biggest thing. in terms of da- any danger to the financial future it's those uh the, the risks that have to do with the uh, risks that have to do with debt in general but really specifically the environmental cleanup and you think it's a good business it i mean who knows we kind of talked about that before it is a good business i don't know that it grows yes yeah so when i talk about good businesses that is something where if uh if I think it's a good business, but I'm not sure it'll grow, that sort of gets a, I don't know if it's a good business or not. Because it doesn't matter how high your returns were in the past. It only matters with new money that you're putting to work, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, their gross their uh, gross margins, uh, returns on capital, things like that are, are good. But if they don't grow at all, then what are they going to do? Sure. So you don't get those returns, yeah. And then is it cheap, which you just referenced? It's came out two-thirds cheaper than what you thought it would come out at. It's cheap compared to the S&P 500, yeah. Got it. And then the last one is Hostess Brand Warrants, ticker TWNKW, and we added them at $78, or excuse me, <laughs> 78 cents, yes. and it's currently trending at a dollar. Yes. So I should go over what these warrants are, because that part's a little confusing. So you need two of these warrants to get one share of stock. Yes. And the warrants expire, I'm going to say, is it the first week of November 2021? Yeah, it's still a couple years out. Yeah. So it's it, it's... 
Yeah, I think it's near the end of the year of 2021. Um, but you, like we said, you need two. So if we're saying the price is one dollar, then you would need um, two. You'd have to pay two dollars to to um, have enough warrants to to get a share of stock, um, and the, that gives you a share of hostess stock at eleven uh, fifty ish. Yeah, I could yeah, I could catch it. Look it um, right so no, I mean the the exercise price mm-hmm. is eleven. Yeah, it was yeah, 11, yeah. Was, yeah. I'm just kind of curious here what's trading okay. right now. And uh, and it has a cap that's about twice that. I forget if it's twenty three or twenty four dollars. But um, I wrote it. I mentioned it on the blog one time. It's currently trading eleven dollars and thirty seven cents. Yeah. So the basically, the, the, right. So right now, you would be paying two dollars to be able to buy the stock at pretty much today's price at any time between now and uh, and the end of twenty twenty one. Okay. So you're putting two dollars down now instead of putting down eleven fifty or whatever to be able to profit the same way that a, uh, someone in the stock would, except it is capped at about double today's value, so about 100% upside. Um, so you'd be capturing that upside from 0 to 100%. You're risking $2 instead of risking $11 of your money and uh, all that stuff. That might not sound that great to people listening, except uh, the capital structure of Hostess makes it more interesting. So the reason why the capital structure makes it more interesting is that Hostess has a lot of um, debt and um, two parts about it. One, it has a lot of debt, so that makes the stock more volatile, um, uh, potentially more volatile, or it should make it more volatile. And a more volatile stock would be more interesting to own options in um, that way. And then the other thing is the danger of the downside is that Hostess stock may not be as safe as people think because if it has a significant decrease in its revenue, earnings, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, once there's concern about its ability to to meet debt payments and things, the stock will really have a huge decline. And so you're not as well protected in the common stock versus the options as you might think. So the reasons for owning the common stock instead of the options are usually like the increase in safety and things like that. Sure. And um, it's, it's a very high, like you said, it's very highly levered. It's like five times debt to EBITDA. Right. It's it's definitely up there. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very predictable business, but it has this high debt on top mm-hmm. of it. And then the other thing about it is um, these are warrants, not options. So I'm saying this because most people who are listening to this, I would guess, who have any experience with these sorts of things would have experience with options, not warrants, right? Don't you think so? Yeah. Yeah. So what would happen here, and there's quite a lot of these out, is that um, – if these if if these warrants were to be profitable at some point for you buying it, um, that would also mean that the company would get quite a lot of cash when it was exercised. Mm-hmm. So all these people exercising would mean hundreds of millions of dollars of cash coming in, taking that net debt down. So the other part about it is when you do the math on it, you have to do the math of after the warrants are assuming that you are looking at the upside here, right? Because yeah. you know what the downside is. A lot the of downside people, is it goes to zero. Yeah, and a lot of people don't do that when they value the company from right upside. I've seen, right, uh, I know. And so you have to do that where you have to say, okay, so there'll be more shares outstanding. So you have to take that into account. But then you also have to take into account that the company will have paid down all this debt um, or will have you know more cash, I should say, because everyone will have exercised these warrants. Because someone will own the warrants mm-hmm. and they will exercise them if they're if they're worth something then. Yeah. Uh, at the end of twenty twenty one. So, think, do you think the stock is cheap? Mm. See, it's a tough one. I know. I, I mean, you understand the business. We, we've talked about it a lot. I think the stock is very close to fairly valued right now if it doesn't grow market share. Mm-hmm. I think it the company has historically increased the market share of the the hostess brands, the core brands that they have. So we're talking like Twinkies and things like that. Um, 
year after year, mm-hmm. they've increased the market share. Now that category is shrinking or flat, but their own market share and it is going up and up. And if you go to, um, well, you can go to dollar stores and things, but if you go to Walmart or something like that, that's probably the easiest place to see it. You'll see that this is pretty, it's pretty close to a duopoly. There's really sort of three companies, but it's close to a duopoly in that McKee Foods, Little Debbie, and Hostess really control the shelf space. Mm-hmm. And some will be um, Bimbo, a Mexican company, which has some things including owns Entenmann's and some stuff like that, and also has all the ethnic uh, Mexican stuff that you'll see there too. But um, but in general, all the sorts of things that you'll recognize in that area, of it will be those two companies. Um, so... There was, I think, a lot of concern in the stock recently where Walmart shifted around what yes. they were doing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. taking away some shelf space. Yeah, and I've been to plenty of Walmarts looking at that, seeing what the differences are and everything. Um, and I think that's, I think that's overblown in terms of how analysts reacted to it in one sense, which is like long term what it meant for the shelf space and things like that. But in, I think the analysts were reacting more to the fact that they that gave them a lot of ideas about how bad the next quarter would be yeah which is true yeah uh-huh. and they cared a lot about that and that's absolutely true because you could see that walmart was um not going to be buying more inventory not going to be buying much more inventory from them that next quarter and so they're basically telling you three months ahead of time exactly how bad the next quarter was going to be Yeah, exactly because walmart would be trying to bring down their inventory levels and redo all these things but now that you look at what's happened in terms of the actual shelf space i don't feel um, like it's changed as much as you might think. There was some stuff they brought in because like Twinkies came back from a bankruptcy um, and it was a brief sort of cultural phenomenon there, <laughs> right? Sure. And so there's some of that stuff which I think will uh, go away. Like they did some extensions of the Twinkie brand and stuff yeah. that I think will go away, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean the new business though is completely different than the pre-bankruptcy company. Yeah, they absolutely. employ like uh, – um, direct to i forget the exact technical word but they wouldn't um the distribution is completely different now right yeah now they go directly to to the 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 customers yeah to the customer's warehouse yeah yeah Yeah. um they don't have any of that previously pension Um, liability that they did before right yeah they have far fewer sites they increase the shelf life before it was direct to store that's what it was direct to store and now it's Mm -hmm. direct to warehouse so instead of having to employ all these people to drive around the trucks and the trucking costs and yeah. fuel and costs, et cetera. Yeah, yeah exactly. Trucks, yeah. And now they just go directly to the warehouse. So it's a much leaner um, distribution mo- model, which I think also Kellogg, I was reading a bunch of other companies are kind of doing that as well. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of um, what I remember happened with um, Nabisco 20 years or so ago. Yeah. So it, it did seem similar to that. Um, yeah, and, and it has, and it's an interesting company because it has like mostly, you know, there are different food companies that have some good brands and some bad brands and things like that. This is a company that has good brands. Mm-hmm. That's all that it has is brands that people know and everything. Uh, it's a category I think you asked about on Twitter, like, would you let your kids eat this or something? Yeah. You know, something like yeah. that. And so it is controversial that way. This is we're a more fit nation. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, it's interesting because if you look at actual behavior stuff, yeah. um, mostly what you see is, uh, well, the, tw- the Twinkies, though, that you're eating today is completely different than what was 20 years ago. I mean, even, mm-hmm. like, post-bankruptcy, they changed up the formula to give it more shelf yeah. space, and it's more uh, it's got more uh, chemicals in it. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Yeah, there's, there's long been a myth that, like, Twinkies last forever and stuff, which wasn't is not true to this day and wasn't true at all before. They didn't have a particularly long shelf life compared to other things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it shows you how 
well known the brand is in the name, particularly of Twinkies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they did increase the shelf uh, life, especially I think to sell to things like dollar stores and stuff, where you see a lot more of that in certain parts of the country. I have noticed that there's more and more of a division that way about where it's sold. I think and and things like that. Um, I think it's one that everyone listening to this should look into. It's it's really easy to research. Um, you can research the management and what they've done in the past and things like that. You can private equity guy, yeah. billionaire. You can research like the strategy of what they're they're clear about what they want to do and all that. And you can just go to dollar stores and to convenience stores and to Walmart and you can just be aware in your day to day life of it, looking yeah. at it. At what I just said about McKee Foods and and Grupo Bimbo and all that, you can look now, flip over all the snack foods that you'd be looking at normally, see who sells what, how much shelf space they have, how much there's like directly a one to one of each like they have their cupcakes version and the other company has their cupcakes version. They have their brownies and they have their brownies. Why is that? You know, why yeah. is that there and what's the pricing and everything? So just don't go grocery shopping with Jeff because you'll be there for five <laughs> hours. I, I just think we, we're, we're talking about like Garrett motion or something. Yeah. That's an incredibly hard thing for people to research and learn about and get scuttlebutt on. Well, it's a like lot that. easier if you could feel it and see it. I mean, you're familiar with the brands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, there'll be people listening to this who know people who work at Walmarts and dollar stores and things like that, who know things about, um, the shelf space that they have and, and how these things come in and how it's distributed and stuff like that. There's lots of things that you'd be surprised that you can learn about those yeah. things. And there'll be very few people listening to this who can tell you a lot about uh, Garrett motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And because I know everybody's wondering, Jeff shops at Costco exclusively for groceries. Uh, I am. A, yes. They, <laughs> uh, yeah, probably 90 to a hundred percent of my purchases are Costco and Amazon. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, good. that's good. Cool. Well, that's, so that's part of our research pipeline. And if you do, if you are a premium member, you get access to that every single week. Yes. And you also get access to a premium memo. If you want a free right. memo, okay. which Jeff puts out a free and a premium one, you could sign up for the free one if you don't want to pay, but the premium memo is a little bit different. Yeah, so let's just say that is. So um, with the memo, what you're getting is uh, you just give us, you just come to the site and you give us our email, you will get a memo which talks about a general investment. Yeah, and then if you're a premium member, you get the watch list as well. Yeah, you get the watch list as well, and you will get a, um, there will be a link in that each time you get that watch list, yeah. which will have what the write up is for that week. That's correct. And it, it is Virtu Motors this so, time. Oh, it is? Yeah, I can reveal that to people. So what is the premium, or what is the memo about? That's going to oh, come out today. The memo is about the watch list, and actually it's about, we talked about the, um, it's about how I ordered the watch list. So I said that I added something, over, is the stock overlooked? Uh-huh. It's those five questions. Got it. And how I use that to order the list, basically. Because cool. last week I did a memo about uh, like how to create a watch list and stuff, mm-hmm. and this week's memo is about how I personally am ordering the watch list. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in. If you do want to support Jeff and myself, mm-hmm. one way you can do it is give us a rating and a review. Yes. We hope you give us five stars. If you're yeah. not going to give us five stars, don't even rate us. <laughs> you can give us a bad review. Just give us five stars yeah. and then the bad review. There we go. Because that helps spread the word yeah. for podcasts and, and for, yeah, through and iTunes. You're free to tell people about it too. Yes. Say, you know, go on your iTunes and listen to the show. Yes, that we will Or Apple Podcasts. Is it Apple. called Apple Podcasts? Yes, yeah, through Apple Podcasts. Okay. And we also have a podcast part on our website as well. Yeah, that's true. Some people listen through Podbean, which is where we we host the podcast, and we have a lot of followers on there. Yeah, we have like, uh, and you, there you could see the uh, right that'll have the what do you call it, the promo code and yeah. things like that. There, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's always in the show notes as well. Yeah, 
Cool. Other than that, um, I have nothing else to add. You have anything else to add? Nope. If you want to get in touch with us, mm-hmm. you can email me always at info at focuscompounding.com. Okay. Jeff's is Gannon on investing at yes. gmail.com. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, you can recommend for me suggest, cause I did get some suggestions that I added to the, this upcoming week's list, watch list. You can suggest to me stocks for the watch list. Cause you've heard this, you know, what kind of stocks I'm interested in. The one thing is if you send me an email about what stock you want me to add to a watch list that you'd like me to look into, um, tell me why it is, overlooked in some way yeah. basically tell me is it a spin-off is it a micro cap is it something you know why is this not microsoft or facebook or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. yeah that's the one thing and then you can be a couple sentences but you know that'd be great or you could also dm me on twitter as well okay at focus compound yeah and we'll add that but do, don't just if you just send me like a ticker yeah that unfortunately isn't i won't know within five minutes of looking at the stock why you're telling me this is an interesting stock so you know when you do tell me what stock you want me to look into, tell me like why everyone doesn't know about this. Cool. Good, good. Alrighty. We hope everybody has a great week. We will see you next Wednesday. Take care. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscombating.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.